Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. And I'm Sam, here with Andy today. And Andy, I feel like you've had a little bit of a recent, uh, a, a, a sign that you're getting older with your recent purchase. Yes, I am in the process of preparing for the arrival of my son, my first child in June. Um, and my wife, being the woman she is, uh, is very much committed to the uh, the twin ideas of having like the best of everything for this kid but also not paying top dollar and so i have been running around the greater austin metro area finding a cheap pediatrician well that's <laughs> uh that's one place you probably don't want to spend yeah. spare the money but like we, yeah i did go buy this uh absurdly high class stroller today from a guy on facebook marketplace um so I had to drive all the way out to Georgetown to get that, but I did get a screaming deal on it. I It's one of those things where, like, unless you are actively having a child, you are never going to look at how much a stroller costs. Right. It's just not even something you encounter in the normal world. And they just know they have you by the throat as far as, like, <laughs> like you, you, when it comes to people's kids, that they, they'll sure. be like, well, you want your kid to be safe, right? So, I mean, $2,000 for a stroller, I mean, it sounds expensive, but... You don't want them to choke to death on a on a cheap Chinese seatbelt and a bad stroller, do you? And you're just sitting there like, no, I don't want them to die. I, yeah, I'll give you the money. Like, here you go. And you end up with all this ridiculous shit. It's the same with daycare. Like, Everything is when we expensive. endeavored to go look at da- – yeah, when, I, when we endeavored to go look at daycare, I was like, as long as he's safe, it's fine. What are they going to teach him? And then, like, after, like, two tours, you're like, look – this place is going to teach him to code when he's three months old. It's only four grand a month. I feel like we should go ahead and do it. Like you're, it's weird. I, I, I went and played uh, top golf with a buddy of mine who's getting ready to have his first kid here in about a month. And f- at first, jokingly, he was like, "Man, make sure to save up before you have a kid because everything's really expensive." And then he had two beers, and he was like, "No, but seriously, like you should be saving." And then, like by beer eight, he came up to me for like the tenth time and was like, "Dude, it's so expensive." Like. Please yeah. help me get a loan. Please go sign. Like it really, it, it is absurd, dude. It is absurd. So, yeah. And my kid is unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. It's going to be amazing. But the timing of it is that my son is due right now, the exact same week my first house is done being built. Sick. So I'm going to be like, I'm going to go from like financially stable to just like completely broke as like cash broke as a joke in like the space of 48 hours, and then. Yeah, it's going to get hectic. Yeah. So You're going to be going to like get stuff for the baby all the time, and you're going to be going to Home Depot all the time. You're going to be running errands yes. all the time, so good luck with that. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, I had a, I had a little bit of a rude awakening as well, uh, totally off topic, but I don't know if you've been involved in the chats where I've been like sending stuff about like old music. I got, in, I got into one of those kicks where you listen to music that you used to listen to like 10 years ago or 15 years ago or however Most old definitely. you are. And listening to this music from high school and it prompted me to look up things about the high school football team that won state back in my senior year and yeah the year after i left dude i was so mad yeah it was awesome um ton of memories from that obviously um but i i couldn't find hardly anything about the team or like videos it's like slowly that is starting to not be the front of the internet right like whether it's like articles or youtube videos like there's like one youtube video of the game Right, and then there's like nobody. Yeah. Like you can't find players' huddle pages anymore. Like recruiting profiles. Like it is. It's kind of sad that it's becoming just like forgotten. Right. It's it, it makes me yeah, feel. Yeah, like, I mean, it, there's a strange thing where we've, and this, and it. I, I won't say it's not true that the internet is very permanent because it certainly is, and especially with like Wayback Machine and and things like that, you can find information. Sure. But 
people tend to view the internet as like this very permanent thing. And in reality, like link rot is so real. Like I'll go find like a, I know you put link rot is just like the phenomenon of like links from 10 years ago, no longer working because like the URLs have been reused. The storage that they were connected to is now being repurposed for other things. That's going to happen in this podcast. And so like, if you go to like, I know if you, I know you post on like a message board, like I do. Um, I think people from, that were using the internet pre all the platforms before like Facebook and everything became like the primary, everything people had like more micro tribal communities, like devoted to individual subjects. Sure. So like football teams or et cetera. And if you go find a thread on red Raider sports or the main board or anything, and it's from like 2012, you'll go through there and all the, the images don't link anymore because Imgur or photo bucket or whoever has gone through and like, Hey, we need these URLs. There's only so many URLs. Like, We'll, we'll reuse these. The that. storage is not unlimited. If they have a lot of uh, storage providers have uh, rules just built into their logic where it's like, if this hasn't been accessed in five years, go ahead and just dump the storage so that, you know, no one's using this. Yeah. And, you know, not to get into a larger issue, but that's, that's kind of my, my fear about the whole NFT thing is like right now your, your URL that you own connects to a quarter million dollar monkey picture, but in seven years it might not connect to a monkey sure. picture. And then I don't know. <laughs> So, yeah. Did your baby stroller come with an NFT? Uh, it comes with an NFT of a baby. So I've decided to just go ahead and just have that because it's <laughs> oh worth way more, honestly. God. That took a dark turn. Speaking of a dark turn, today we're going to be talking about a thriller, dark comedy. I don't really... We will get into the genre because I think it's a fascinating topic. For... Uh, let me hold my... Let me catch my breath for a second. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window from Netflix. Yeah. So I, I, when I saw the title, when you brought it up to me, I thought it was like a, I was expecting kind of a scary movie-esque send-up of all the films that have titles like that. So Rear Window, Distur- uh, Disturbia, yeah. there's been many kind of voyeur. Man, I haven't thought about Disturbia in forever. Yeah, that's a remake. That's just a modern remake of Rear Window, which had been remade oh. twice, and then they've made it again under new context and with a new title. Um, but that's kind of a, that's been a very kind of standby uh, trope in Hollywood is this idea of like you witness a murder from the safety of your home and then suddenly you realize that you are no longer safe in the space from which you're observing the crime. Sure. And it brings into like, it brings into focus like issues of like perspective and like how objective are you as an outside observer if you can't see within the context of the building you're looking into. So it's really interesting, but this was actually a really, a really fun watch. I enjoyed yeah, this. Yeah, when we decided to do this, it was the number one show on Netflix, which kind of prompted us to, to take a look at it and... I, I was pleasantly surprised. Like, I, I, I thought, um, well, first of all, let's start by this. What would be your kind of elevator pitch to somebody if they w- maybe weren't interested in this? Like, what, what what was your first impression of the show, not only from, like, what it's about, but also a quality perspective? What did you think? So I would say that it, it tries to, like, capture the initial vibe of kind of like a a Weeds or a Desperate Housewives, kind of like your classic suburban housewife tale of like the, it's a self-contained reality built around this neighborhood, which is something I think a lot of people can relate to in modern American life. They live in like a subdivision. And so like, that's kind of the, the unit of measure for them as far as their, their daily routine. Um, I know you and I both grew up in, um, one of the many, you know, kind of cookie cutter suburbs of North Dallas mm-hmm. and in a little neighborhood called waters crossing. And for me, that was like the whole world until, for sure. you know, I was 18 years old. So kind of that, but it has like very prominent, like kind of surreal uh, elements to it. So she is, um, they started off very quickly where she's taking medication. 
uh, that she's combining with alcohol. And so she's having hallucinations that immediately kind of draw you into this, like, okay, is this an unreliable narrator? What role does this play? She also has this, like, very strange and unique phobia. Uh, I think it's called, I think it's pronounced ombrophobia, which is the fear of rain. And I'm sure someone much smarter than me could explain, like, what the rain represents. Like, I'm sure that's, like, a very obvious metaphor for, like, you know, fear of connecting with people or something. I'm sure it's it's pretty obvious, and I'm just not a, a smart yeah. enough literary critic to break it down. Two, two but, things I'm gonna I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna insert. Yeah, she is Kristen Shoot. Bell playing a girl named Anna. Yes, and this is spoiler written. So if you haven't seen the show, I know it's pretty recent. Go back, watch it, come back and listen to us talk about it. And and spoilers will ruin this show. Yes. Like it's very much a it's show a you need to like yeah. experience every twist and turn of to really like get the full experience. Right. In my opinion. Right. All right, back to the main show which is you talking yeah yeah so i so it it revolves around uh her she's recently anna's her she plays a girl named anna anna is a former artist who's recently divorced and so she lives alone in this house and she's trying to come to terms with uh what we originally just see as kind of like a tragedy in her life you can tell there's been some real deep trauma there and try to like get back out there and like have a social life the first episode like the first 10 minutes they show her like trying to get ready to go out on a date that she had set up by one of her friends. And she just like totally stands the yeah. guy up and stays and, home. And, in the and house. you don't know what the trauma um, is whatsoever. It's it, it, exactly. they, they definitely like spoon feed you aspects of the trauma. Well, and I'll say this, show. that is their mechanism. That is their mechanism for all these kind of movies and shows. So Disturbia, Rear Window, they all have some mechanism by which to keep the, the narrator, the main character in the house. Yeah. So, in Rear Window, Christopher Reeves is in a wheelchair, obviously, because he's Christopher Reeves. And he can't go anywhere, so he's always, you know, chilling in the house, looking out the window, being a voyeur. Uh, in Disturbia, it's Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, Disturbia, yeah, right? he's, got, he's got the ankle Shia LaBeouf, thing. He's, yeah, he's on house arrest, so he's got to stay in there. So for her, um, it's kind of this, it's a more, like, emotional, internal barrier to going outside and experiencing social life again, and also... Despite being someone who clearly has like a debilitating phobia of rain, it, she lives in a place where it rains a lot, yeah. which is weird. So every day, um, yes, she's kind of confined to the house pretty often, and that's kind of the setup. Is like we, we we're watching her kind of grasp at trying to reconnect with other human beings, and so she's trying to like you know meet her neighbors. Some neighbors send her flowers. She's trying to make casseroles for people. She's just trying to do like small things that can allow her to make inroads into casual social encounters again after kind of losing her better yeah. half when her husband left and her. And Kristen Bell in this story is, I, th- I think she's probably made to be like a lot of different female leads in these type genres. Like the, what is it called? Is it called Woman in the Window? Is that the name of the, the Amy Adams flick that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Girl on the Train. It's kind of the same thing uh, where... It's it is an unreliable narrator woman who's going through a lot of turmoil. Usually, she's like she's abusing some sort of substance like alcohol, um, and that's exactly what Kristen Bell has going on in the show. So, another mechanism that they have is you're very aware very early on that Kristen Bell is taking like not psychedelic. She's taking uh, help me out here. Like she's taking prescription medicine and she's mixing that with wine, yeah. and so. Mm-hmm. She knows she's seeing things. She's seeing a therapist. She's texting a, a phone number that says therapist on it. And then she's got this phobia. So she's got a lot going on to where things that are happening to her, you have to take everything with a grain of salt and be like, is this really happening? Is this not? Which I, I, 
I love a good unreliable narrator. So sign me up for and, that. And we we see very quickly that her hallucinations aren't always like super crazy. So like some of them are really nuts. Like she sees her, you know, she sees dead people, things like that. Right. But there's also ones where it's like when you're seeing the hallucination, you're thinking it's happening, just like she is, and then it's very quickly shown to you. So there's a, a, in the first episode, she halluc- she meets her neighbor who is a recently divorced or, you know, single father uh, who lives there next door with his daughter. Yeah. Uh, he helps her, like, get out of the rain, and uh, she has a very vivid hallucination of having sex with him. Yeah. And the way it's filmed, you're like, oh, like, he, he helped her inside. They, like, hit it off, and they ended up sleeping together. And then she wakes up on her couch in, in the same bathroom she was in earlier, and you're like, oh, no, that, that wasn't real. So it does it definitely calls into question kind of the nature of everything because it isn't always really easy to tell what's what's real and what's not. Right. It's very similar to um, there's certain stories I'm, I'm thinking about, like Mean Girls, where the main character daydreams a lot. And then, you know, in Mean Girls, there's, like, scenes where, like, she somebody gets hit by a bus or, like, she jumps on somebody, attacks them in the middle of the classroom. And there's no indication that it's a daydream other than just, like, after it's done, it just, like, zooms back and the person snaps back into reality, right? It's, it's, it's a little bit similar to that if you've ever seen a show um, of that nature. Yeah, the, the one I always think of is, uh, did you watch The Boys on HBO? Um, I have. I've seen, yeah. So the first episode of The Boys, when he's in, the, he's in like, the room talking to the, the Vought company uh, representative yeah. and the guy's like look we're just gonna give you like 10 grand and he's like you're gonna give me 10 grand fuck you he like freaks out beats the shit out of the guy and then suddenly it snaps back and he's still just sitting at the yeah. table and the guy's like uh buddy you gonna, you gonna sign you gonna take the 10 grand yeah. and you're like oh man he didn't really do that yeah. like yeah before we kind of get into the the entire kind of i guess we'll go over every single story twist and turn because it is eight it's eight episodes and every episode is about 30 minutes long so it does a good balance i think of it's it's not quite a movie like that. They're able to take the time to flesh out some of the characters and plot turns, um, kind of like a thriller novel where like you'll feel like an episode has only gone on for a second, and then you know like there's been like three or four scenes, and then suddenly there's a twist, right? And so like a yeah. page turner, they're able to cut the episodes off. And I say it's thirty minutes, but they actually play around with the with the episode times. I think there's an episode that's like twenty one minutes. They really do like stop it, which is that's that's cool. That's a cool use of the more free yeah. medium that is streaming content. Cause you're not confined to this like commercial block, right. 22 minutes plus commercial half hour. Um, the inciting instant, I guess of like the driving main plot is that, like we said, she has this, this hallucination where she sleeps with the neighbor. And even though she doesn't really do that, she does like, like him. He seems very friendly. They're both recently single. It seems like they could hit it off. She has a great night with him. Uh, she goes over there. Uh, they have the casserole that she made. Hangs, she hangs out with him and his daughter and then the next day, uh, a woman is walking up to the front door, and she's walking up to the front door, too. And it turns out this is the dude's girlfriend, and she's shocked by that. And later that night, looking through the window in the classic kind of trope, tropian way, um, she sees this woman get murdered. And she's instantly suspicious of the guy. Cause, and, and as the viewer, even, I was like, oh, man, his wife, quote-unquote, drowned at the lake house. Yeah, like, like, sure. Okay, okay, pal. Like <laughs> women tend to die around you a lot, right. huh? That's uh that's that's a bad attribute to have. So that's kind of the inciting incident and she obviously as the unreliable unreliable narrator, we're like did that really happen? If it did, she's probably not the best person to be involved in this cuz no one really takes her seriously. Like it's very interesting. Yeah, and she's also like Kristen Bell is fully wrapped up in these kind of novels in these kind of stories that it's yes. satiring. So like she reads basically like 
thrillers aimed at a predominantly like a female audience, right? So um, stories like Gone Girl or like the other one named Girl on the Train, she reads stuff like that. So when she hears something like, oh, my neighbor's spouse died, like her instant thought is like, oh, they did this shit. He killed her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, like that's what cops do. So like, I guess we can't really, we can't really blame her. Right. And they bring this level of absurdity to kind of all of it. So like, she's kind of this tragic artist where, and it's the very classic tried and true. where like, they're one of the best artists ever, but then they went through a traumatic incident and now they can't create anymore. You know, they like, they can't pick up a paintbrush anymore. And we learn towards the end of the series that like, they've built her up as this like really accomplished artist. And it turns out the way that she made it big was that she, (laughs) she paints dogs as Renaissance masterpieces. (laughs) So it's like her dog is the Mona Lisa, which is like the best, like, the, when we've had this discussion before about like, would you rather like toil in anonymity but create truly great groundbreaking work that isn't appreciated in its time, or would you rather like you know write Fifty Shades of Grey and be absurdly popular and rich but like you're kind of a hack? And so she's just like she's trapped by this like she yeah. is a well known artist and she is huge, but on like the worst possible terms from a creative dignity standpoint, which is really great little feature they threw in. It doesn't really impact that much, but I loved that. Dude, touch. first of all, every time that conversation comes up, my threshold for what I would be willing to take in terms of dollars for being a hack just keeps getting lower and lower. I'm like, well, if I move out of the country, you know, half a million dollars could last me a while. Like, sure, I'll. Oh yeah, dude. If yeah. you're in, if you're in Belize, dude, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go link up with uh, John yeah. McAfee, or I guess John McAfee. John McAfee, dude. I bet I bet his mansion's still available. Yeah. Like the bath salt lab he had <laughs> is probably still in full production. Like, yeah. So that that goes down, and then. But dude, speaking of, the, of speaking of this... the comedy, real quick, I, I have to stop you there because yeah, this is one of the most interesting things about this show is. It's kind of a parody. It's kind of a dark comedy. I, I really think it tries to be a parody, but I think this is kind of where the show in some ways excels, but in some ways I think is it's like a main struggle. And I know that that's kind of a very general thought, but I agree with you. On my, that. my thought is this. They have a few really funny, subtle jokes. Everything is subtle in this show because there's nothing to play off of it. There's no like it'll it'll have like one very subtle joke. Like, for example, her pouring the wine glass. She has the she has the glass mm-hmm. the size of a wine bottle and it holds the same liquid volume as a bottle of wine. So she pours out the whole thing to the very brim and then she'll take that wine cork and she'll throw it into the glass that has like hundreds of wine corks, right? And then she walks out of the room. Yeah. And it's something that like you could easily miss if you weren't paying attention. And it's also something you can miss if you go like ten minutes of runtime without a joke. And I think that's kind of the problem of the humor overall with this show. So kind of getting into my throat, my first egg I'm going to throw at the show is, is that this show would do so much better as like an SNL parody. Like take all of the jokes they make and make make it into like a two or three minute SNL short video and and, and it would work fine. But the problem is, is they make these really dry references with no laugh track and they'll space it out like, 10 minutes before that, there was no jokes made. And then 20 minutes after that, there's no jokes made. And so you're left kind of wondering, like, sometimes you're left wondering, is it a joke? Like, another, before I, you know, hand it over to you, one, I think the the best example of this is um, the something you're probably about to get to is when you find out that her daughter is dead. So yeah. there's a, one of her hallucinations is she goes 
um, upstairs and she, you see her daughter playing in the daughter's room with toys and they have this little interaction and I forget exactly what Kristen Bell says something to the effect of like I'll see you X day or like I'll help you with that and the daughter disagrees why do you say that and the daughter says because I'm dead and then it shows yeah. Kristen Bell and Kristen Bell's like kind of looks up towards the, the, the ceiling and it's like why do I keep forgetting that and it's it's a really weird joke to make if you're not lumping that into like an epic, you know, like the, the epic movies or like, of, you know, those kind of like clearly parody type shows or like. Well, they do have this really like this tinge that they tend to go really over the top with these moments. Like when you hear in a movie or a show that someone's daughter, young daughter has died, yeah. you're probably thinking like, OK, did they have cancer? Did they get hit by a car? Which is what I thought. Did Was there, car. It, was there an incident at the school? No. They reveal that her husband was a reporter doing a story about people in jail. Psychologist. And took Because that plays into it later. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A psychologist. Takes takes the daughter to, like, maximum security prison to, like, interview this <laughs> this guy and gets massacre murdered Mike. and eaten. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Massacre Mike, who gets murdered and eaten by this guy. And that's what drives their marriage apart. Which, like, first of all, yeah. I mean, definitely like there's no coming back from that as a husband. If I get if, if when AJ joins us in a couple months, if I get him murdered and eaten. Right. I'm going to have to just like toss that one up. Cassie's going to have going to have the right to leave me at that point. Mm. Um, similarly, we go through this very winding path of like, OK, is the neighbor guy the murderer? No. OK. Is it this other guy that was involved with the girl that got murdered? No. Is it me? Have I been hallucinating and like blacking out? And like during my blackouts, and so you're like self questioning. Yeah. You know, obviously we're projecting ourselves into her as the narrator, and then they kind of like stop that dead cold and kind of throw it all in your face. Is like you've you've uh, kind of weaved this elaborate web of conspiracy, and it turns out that it's the the daughter the whole yeah. time. The, the little girl lives next door. She's nine years. She old. murdered everyone for very yeah. She's nine years old. She murdered everyone for incredibly mundane reasons. It's like. My dad wouldn't let me, you know, have a toy, go to this, yeah, yeah, go yeah. To the so movie, have stupid. a toy. My mom wouldn't, my, my pregnant mom was pregnant and I didn't want to have a sibling cause I like being the only child. This other girl wouldn't give me chocolates. She kills her teacher just cause she's a kid and kids hate their yeah. teachers. So you're like, Oh, like there's really nothing to figure yeah. out. Like there was no connection. There was no deeper anything. And she's just by watching her as the main character, Anna, we fall into the same trap she does, does, which is like, oh, there must be like a complicated path to, to how all of these are connected, blah, blah. It's like, no, not really. Like, murder's pretty brutal, and <laughs> there's horrible psychopaths in the world, and this is which one of them. She's just nine. I, That's it. Lo- I, I saw some people that were really upset with the ending, and they thought it was like a cop-out. And I was like, no, like, if this wasn't a parody, then, yeah, then like, yeah, it would be absurd. Like... But it's 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 very similar to Hot Fuzz where like they weave this elaborate conspiracy and then they're like, oh, no, that's not it at all. Like we just killed all those people because we want to win the best village competition. So like that guy didn't cut his grass and this dude built an ugly house and this lady was going to leave town and she's a really good gardener. So we couldn't let her take in her talents somewhere else. Like that's exactly the kind of tone they struck, which I think is the right one. That works really well. Or like the um, I mean, it's not quite a parody, but like what's that? that party movie where like Jonah Hill, it's like got Jonah Hill and Seth Rogen and all that. And they have like a party in LA and they play themselves. And then the world ends at the very oh, end. Uh, the, the night of, yeah, the night of, or no, whatever not the called. night of, of, uh, is it called the, the world's end? Yeah. You call it, you, you said the night of, and I immediately thought of that, uh, 
the HBO special. The HBO show where they're in prison. That is what it's called. That's called The Night yeah, Of. That um, show's sick. But not this one, this one is the one where they're playing themselves, except the the one choice they make about changing someone significantly is that Michael Sarah is like a psychopath, yeah. which is so great. He's like d- double teaming chicks in the bathroom and doing blow. And they're like, oh, Michael Sarah. That's so classic Michael yeah. Sarah. It's great. But <laughs> it, it reminds me a little bit of that where like you if you don't, you have to understand this is like what we tell writers all the time is like I say that as if I'm like a consultant for writers, like. I say this to writers all the time. Like, <laughs> I told Stephen King this last yeah. week. Yeah, when I was t- when I was helping George R. R. Martin with his latest, I was like, "Dude, you can't put aliens in it. Hurry the fuck yeah, up!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but like, it is important to. Um, Roxy Eloise came on the show a few weeks ago, and we talked a little bit about this. Like, you have to know your genre that you're going into to know what rules you need to adhere to because your audience expects them and what rules that you want to break because you're again to like subvert expectations. Um, Agreed. Which by the way, uh, writers of game of Thrones, you need to figure out what a subvert expectations is. Okay. Don't just take what I said and then (laughs) apply it to whatever the hell you're going to botch after this. Um, But I think it's, it's such a great twist because it falls in line with all the humor that they had up to that point was, so stupid like you said in like in dry almost to the point of like the really deep i almost use like british humor as the example yeah like there are some branches of british humor that are so so dry that you like they'll say something that's like not a joke and then just stare at you with a blank face and you're like that's not oh yeah when i think I think when people watched like the American office and then were like, Oh, there's a British one. And they go back and watch the early episodes of the British office oh, where like yeah. most of the humor is just like, kind of just like subjecting you to being uncomfortable. That's kind of the nature of it is just like a boss saying something that horrifies you and then just staring into the camera for like a solid five seconds. Right. And that's, that's kind of what they do here is that it's like an unflinching, uh, it's like insisting that this is funny, even though like in a vacuum and in any other context, these things would not be humorous at all. Yeah. And, and it, and I think that we were talking about what movie did we do on the pod? That was a comedy or it was a comedy and we oh it was legally blonde and i was like legally i blonde. can't put my finger on it but there's something there's something that's lacking in punchiness of the humor and i took points off of it because i'm like dude at the end of the day this just isn't punchy humor and that's kind of how i feel a little bit about the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window is that there's moments where they try to do dry humor but it's so dry and and it's not bounced off of anything and there's no like setup that you're like this isn't a joke. Like, I'll give you an example. There's a scene where the husband across the street, or the the guy that we're kind of expecting to like either fall in love with Kristen Bell or turns out that he's the murderer, one of the two. There's a scene where he gets Kristen Bell, finds that she has passed out in the street, and then he takes her back to her house and puts her on the couch. And Kristen Bell and him are both soaking wet. And Kristen Bell like kind of kind of takes this really weird position on the couch like spread eagle and as they're talking she keeps like contorting her body into like a more uncomfortable and weird position and it kind of reminds me of like the 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 scene on the plane on bridesmaids where like she's clearly just like drunk and rolling around but again there's no setup for the fall so i looked at adina and was like is this a joke or is like i i truly did not know if like kristen bell was doing a joke or if like she was just kind of acting weird in that moment. And there's a few jokes like that where we looked at each other and we're like, I'm pretty sure that was a joke, but I'm not 
a hundred percent sure. And, and that happens all throughout one, the, the one, show. One thing I'll give this show is that it really, I, I should, it's not that like this seals it or anything, but Kristen Bell has, has pretty incredible range for someone that I think could have otherwise been like a, a pretty typecast actress mm-hmm. in her career. Agreed. Like she could have probably played the same character a bunch. And I think this required a little more depth from her than other roles I've seen her in. I love her in, uh, like, she did a voice on BoJack Horseman, which is one of my favorite shows. And I thought this really, like, made her stretch a little bit because the character is, like, it's not just funny. It's not just dramatic. You have to kind of walk that line. She manages to do both of those pretty well. Um, And it's a very, like we said, because of the genre blending nature of this, it it requires a little bit from a character that might be hard. I I feel like if I was reading the script, it'd be hard for me to understand what they were going for. Like the tone would be very weird because it would probably read very straight man until you get to like these jarring moments of quote unquote comedy. And you'd be like, what is this here for? Why is the kid getting eaten? Like, so it's, it's interesting. I thought she did a great job though. One thing that I want to give credit to about the writing is I thought they did a good job of giving you a ton of, clues and red herrings in the first two episodes where you're just not entirely sure like what you'll see things happen or oddities and you're like that's gonna mean something later and with all of those oddities it either ends up being a big deal later or it ends up being a red herring and they explain it away through like a very logical answer um yeah the best example i can give you was the the guy who I thought was the murderer for, I would say, half the show, which was the Rex. Is that is that the guy who was working on the is working on the oh oh you're, uh, the guy that built you're talking about the guy that built the easels the guy who I don't know if he's working on that or the the guy who works on the mailbox I couldn't think of the word yeah 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 so Buell Buell yeah I thought Buell was for sure it for a lot of reasons he was kind of played that simple character. He was kind of out of place the entire time, and it showed him working on this mm-hmm. mailbox for "quote unquote" years. And yeah. I was like, "That's very strange." It definitely added to Anna being an unreliable character. That this guy's just like nailing the same piece of wood outside of her house for weeks, and nobody's questioning it. Um, yeah. I actually started coming up with theories that like Anna's imagining the whole thing, which maybe she was. I was kind of waiting for it to be. I, I was really worried we were going to get a Dallas ending. Yeah, you know, like. It was all a dream or like, actually, her daughter didn't die. She died. And this is all the imaginings of her daughter who's trying to like remember her mom. And she only remembers her mom in these like very like weird, bizarre ways that a child would or something. But yeah, and, I like the direction and it I took think, it. I thought it went well. I think that if this wasn't a parody, I would like if this was strictly a thriller and this guy had been working on her mailbox for like weeks on end, I could see fan theories saying that. Buell is evidence that she imagined it all or something of that nature. And I probably would side Agreed. with them. Like that is not something yeah. you it can would become, it would become American psycho a little bit like yeah. where the, the absurdist elements become the evidence for the, the non-reality of the events. Um, you know, the, not to go too far into American psycho, I'm sure we'll end up doing an episode on that at some point. Cause it is a very strangely written piece of media, yeah. but there's a, as his hallucinations ramp up, he gets to this one point where he's at an ATM and he looks down, he's typing in the buttons and the ATM says, feed me the cat. And he picks up this stray alley cat and just feeds it to the ATM. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, this, this is clearly not real. Like how much of this has yeah. been imagined? And we're left questioning that the rest of the time. So there's a, I think authors have a, 
from a writing standpoint, you have a very like important decision to make when you're using hallucinations in as a plot device in your your story because you can go kind of overboard with it where it does become like none of this happened it was all in a snow globe uh referencing uh what was that show saint elsewhere yeah. very famous uh hospital show where it turned out to all be the dreams of an autistic child so looking at a snow globe God. of a hospital which is dude some, can you imagine watching that show for like 10 years and then that's the end. You'd be like, I'm, that's not my head cannon, dude. <laughs> the show ended last week for me. That's, I'm not doing that. Yeah, so that's awful. I, and I, here I am complaining about the ending of how I met your mother, which is like, Oh, I just don't like right. the mom. Uh, but on the other hand, like, uh, I felt like the Sopranos used kind of surrealist elements really well. Like Tony's dreams, uh, yeah. episodes were very interesting when he's in the coma. So it's a very powerful device because it totally frees you. You can write any story you want when it turns into like, this isn't real, but it has to be done in such a way that it kind of connects back to the, the real plot. And it has to be done in such a way that it informs as to like the, uh, something about the character. Sure. And I thought they did a really good job with that. All, all, all jokes aside, happy Gilmore has a great dream yeah. scene, like where yeah. it it's ridiculous. It's, comical which plays into the theme and then also like it teaches a valuable lesson or like kind of like helps prod along the it's it kind of happens at the quote-unquote like the low point of happy's character right. arc and it like really feeds into that so 100 percent agree most definitely so yeah man i was i was super glad you recommended this to me i finished it last night and then i fell into the rabbit hole of a different show which i want to talk about after we Ooh. we finish with this one cuz i have a recommendation for our audience okay uh i won't hold you too much longer i i i guess i'll just i guess we can just get into like ratings cuz i don't think there's too much more to talk about the show it's pretty straightforward it's got good thriller elements it's got some hit or miss comedy and i think it's worth watching but uh i'll hand the mic to you andy what do you uh what do you think in terms of ratings and just kind of like overall thoughts? So I think because of how we usually do ratings, which is like we try to rate things against things similar to them and in their own genre, this is kind of a challenge because I don't think it's fair to put this up against The Silence of the Lambs. No, I don't think it's fa- And I don't think it's fair to put this up against, uh, you know, more absurdist comedy. Right, you know? like, like Date truly, Night like, or... Exactly. Like, I don't think whatever. it fits into either of those. Um, I also kind of have a special category for original franchises or projects by streaming services because I think that that is such a mixed bag. Like, you can get stuff like the first season of House of Cards or you can get stuff like all the other seasons of House of Cards or the movie Bright with Will Smith, oh, which God. is crazy. <laughs> which, dude, let me tell you just as an aside that I looked that movie up the other day and I... I'm not joking when I tell you that there is a subreddit about that movie and there are people in it that are like discussing the ins and outs of the lore and like begging them to make another one of that. And I was just like, what lore, dude? It's not, dude, the orcs are black guys. That's the whole lore. Like it's not, it's like the least yeah, subtle piece of media ever made by man. Low like, key is, hey, it, you get it? it do you, they're wearing basketball jerseys. Do you get it? So yeah, so the, the, stream, the, the streaming services have made, uh, they've poured tons of money into original content and they've gotten some really good stuff and some really bad stuff. I thought this was a really great project for them. I think, uh, as I'm going to caveat by saying, I'm assuming that because this is a mini series, it's only eight episodes. I'm assuming they're done with this. Oh, I, there hope isn't so. be, I hope so. If they leave it as is right now, I think it's, as good as this project can yep. be. So I think it is like a strong uh, eight and a half out of 10. 
I think it's a, a really great, enjoyable watch that you can digest, you know, inside of a week, even if you're busy. And it's something, it's not, it's very unlike other things you'll watch. So it's not going to be like a, just, you know, the same old thing. And it's a self-contained story and idea, which I think is important. We live in a time where in media, they want everything so desperately to be a franchise. They want a 47 movie run with merch and TV shows. And man, we're just watching them just beat, not even beat the dead horse of Star Wars, like grind Star Wars into just dust and then dissolve that dust into water and then evaporate the water with a blowtorch. Like, oh, Book of Boba Fett, fuck off. It's so bad. I don't care what anyone tells me. It's not good. Like, The Mandalorian is tight. I'm super down. Book of Boba Fett sucks. So, yeah, Disney Star Wars is batting like a, is batting like a 100 right now. Like, two, one out of 10. It's got like a, I was going to say like two of their 10, like The Mandalorian and uh, Rogue, Rogue One, One. Yeah, like Rogue the two that I think most people like. And then other than that, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, one of them is we've no. talked about this a lot. One of them is I would put in my top five worst modern screenplays, period, like without getting into it. we should do a whole episode on. And I know this is a podcast about good writing, but the entire arc and backstory of like having Abrams direct episode seven and then Ryan Johnson comes in and does eight and then they bring back Abrams to do nine. And neither of them, both of them had set the egos to the point where they refused to like acquiesce to the other one's narrative decisions. And I'll confine that whole, there's a huge discussion we have, but I'll confine it to one thing I hated about some of the stuff in the prequels. And then what Abrams did in seven was that they, they make being a Jedi in the force about having special blood. Yeah. It's about, you have to be a relation to like the Skywalkers or the Palpatines or somebody you got to have midi chlorians. And Ryan Johnson is not a. I don't. I don't like his Star Wars movie. But what I did like about it was that he undid that. And at the end of like the last scene of that movie was the little boy holding yeah, the broomstick in the moonlight, and you're like, anyone. Oh, I was like, oh man, anyone that can be a, a Jedi. That's what I want. I want that. And then as soon as Abrams got back in the chair, he was like, yeah, but like actually, she's a she's Palpatine's granddaughter. So you you got to have the secret magical blood, or you're not a Jedi. I was like, dude, you suck, dude. Like now, no one, none of us can like dream. It's like Harry Potter. Like they leave it open where it's like, hey, some people just become wizards. Like their parents are Muggles, but they're a wizard. And so every little kid could be like, oh, I could be a wizard. It'd be way shittier if J.K. Rowling was like. Only people related to other wizarding <laughs> well, families. Well, she, she practically like, said okay, only well, white people can be wizards. Yeah, like, that's fucking every true. time. Every time uh, <laughs> uh, Dean Thomas came on the book, she was like, "Dean Thomas, comma a black boy, comma." It's like okay, yeah, like, dude, is, yeah. like is that important? Like he's the only black boy at Hogwarts. Uh, no, what J.J. Abrams did was effectively the literary version of like O.G. Mako, bitch, you guessed it music video yeah. where like there's oh yeah these unsuspecting people standing on the elevator and then like five dudes come in at like 2 a.m and just start jumping on the elevator <laughs> and force them to like run for cover out of the elevator that's what he that's what i crew basically did i'll never forget being in this theater to see that movie and when this the the crawl started you know star wars movie turns on and dude i love star wars so i was like i'm gonna enjoy this and then as soon as the first line Palpatine has returned. I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Bro, that's a whole movie. That's a movie. Like, that line has to be a whole movie or you can't do it. And they're just like, nah. Like, forget Snoke. He's dead. <laughs> Welcome to Palpatine's back. I was like, then then the, the original... Oh, 
then the original movies mean nothing. It sucks. Dude, so, yeah. uh, blah, 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 no, blah. No, 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 no. This, this show is really good. Well, I, I have to throw in one more Ryan Johnson slander because we, we gave him too much credit for that one cool scene he had. But going back to Snoke, just, like, killing Snoke and then just being like, guys, I did it. I subverted expectations, right? I did it, right? Am I, am I good? Yeah. And it's like... Dog. And, we, and we never figured out who Snoke was. We didn't know why <laughs> yeah. he was in charge. Like, they, you kept waiting for them to be like, like, Abrams basically, like, did, hey, here's a bunch of questions. I'm going to lock the answers in this box. You might get to open this box one day. And then Ryan Johnson took that box and threw it in the ocean and came up with a whole bunch of new shit. You're like, well, none of this makes sense. Like, who is Snoke? Like, I don't, why, he's dead? Sure, I don't care. Like, it, it reminds <laughs> me of, like, when you're on the playground playing with your friends and, like, uh, you know, one person saying like, oh, look, there's bad guys over there. We have to run. And then like another kid will be like, and I just shot them. So we don't have to run or like oh, yeah. whatever. It's like yeah. stalling. I actually have a, I actually have a laser shield. So I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. and like, okay, fine. It's so bad. <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> I guess I have to rate this film that we're actually talking about, or this show we're actually talking about. Um, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Um, I'm going to say it's a solid seven. And I know that the, that is totally the cop out rating and and i admit that like i think it is really good for what it intended to be and it was just like parody thriller i think the thriller part was a lot better than the parody part i almost think they could have like honestly i i think it would have been accused of not being original but if they had taken out all the jokes and literally just made it a thriller and like made it yeah you gotta give it a new title in that case yeah that's other than that like Like, i think they could have done that and it would have been like the exact same on my my view the reason that i can't rate it any higher for like being kind of like a parody show like it was it was entertaining and that's why i'm gonna rate it pretty high seven i just don't think it had the punchiness like i did not think like i i give it a ton of credit for being entertaining and me truly not being able to figure out who the killer was and and also like you having multiple ideas of who the killer is right but again the the humor was it was a little too dry, but more importantly, it was just a little bit too spaced out. Like I said earlier, you could have taken all of the jokes made throughout the eight episodes and dwindled it down to like a three-minute SNL skit, and it would have been hilarious. It, like the group hopper, basically. Like imagine if they took the group hopper skit and then like yeah. made it into eight episodes. Now, I but I I will say this: I do applaud them for making it only eight episodes and only like. 20 to 30 minute episodes it is super digestible yeah it's, it's perfect it's perfect size yeah. yeah it's done really well it's it's a tight show yeah. which is good because this don't kind of thing time. can wander off the reservation like i always say like weeds is one of the most disappointing pieces of media ever because when they start that show it's all self-contained to this neighborhood it's all about like the the weird version of like politics that exists in every paranoid rich white suburb in the united states they play on all those like things you already know about coming into it. And then as they decided to do more seasons, they just had to leave that neighborhood. Yeah. And so they ended up like, she's hanging out with the cartel. She's doing but And you're just like, okay, dude, this sucks now. And so I, I'm glad that this kind of ended before we saw them go into the wilderness, yeah, so to speak. I think it sure. needed to take place in this like isolated, claustrophobic environment. Which um, I, I, this is the kind of show like a seven. I, I would, I would recommend it to most people. I say most people because there is that one really over the top raunchy sex scene, and they and they go out of their way yeah. to make it that. Like it's part of the humor. Is if if you haven't seen the show, basically there's like a sex scene, and it starts out like a normal sex scene, where like 
it shows them kissing and then it shows them in another room like taking off clothes and then it shows them in the bed like in the sheets and then this sex scene goes on for like another three and a half minutes of like them in every room in the house and like their positions are getting crazy and like man i i got to ask at a certain point like Kristen bell like between this and freeing sarah marshall she must look at scripts and have like crazy sex scenes and just be like yes i'm in sign me up yeah <laughs> yeah she's she's down to clown for sure um all right um so what is this show that you you wanted to recommend or you want to oh my about? gosh dude it's so, not euphoria yeah, is it so, it's not euphoria but university yeah we we're gonna have to talk about euphoria at some I mean, we're point, playing but, it, so the so. Last night, I was on uh, my computer, and I saw a new YouTube video from a YouTuber that I really like. It's uh, not a George Rockall Schmidt, is it? It is not a George Rockall Schmidt, although everyone should go watch his new new video about – I can't remember the guy's name. The guy that founded Tether. It's a really, really good video. He killed it, so – one of the most underrated YouTubers on the planet. He only has like a quarter million. He's the only person we give free ads to on the show. He's free ad Yes, absolutely. That guy, that guy can make me feel any way about any movie. He could be like, let me explain why City of God sucks. And I'd come out of that being like, you know, it's my favorite movie of all time, but it's got weaknesses. I got to admit, <laughs> like, I, would, I would eat my own words, 10 years of words. But anyway, so I was watching this YouTuber, he, and, he's, and uh, he goes, I've discovered this show that I hadn't heard anything about, and it was really good. And the show is uh, it's on HBO. Uh, it's an HBO Max original, so it's not on standard HBO. It's one of their pieces of original content for their streaming service, and it is called Station Eleven. And this is a miniseries. It's also like this, a self-contained, like ten-episode run. Um, Wait, dude, didn't you just start watching this like of... yesterday? Yeah, I, I stayed up till three a.m. I burned the whole <laughs> thing down. It was that good. This show. Now, when I say the first part, you're going to roll your eyes. It's a it's a show about a big pandemic that like wipes out humanity because of the times we live in. Who wrote that's this? Become Fauci? like did Fauci write this? <laughs> right, but but uh, that so many of those have been made, you know, because it's like topical. I think this is this, this is based on a book, and so I think this was written long before we had our actual pandemic, but. In this, uh, this story follows like several characters who survive this flu that wipes out like 90% of humanity. And there's like three timelines, like right, like the day after the flu breaks out, like a couple, like a year after the flu breaks out. And then our main story takes place 20 years after what they call post-pan. So post-pandemic where a new generation of kids has been born into this like much spark, much more sparsely populated life. And how, how much it how, follows how many people like how, what's the population of the world after 20 years? Um, they don't. Well, one, they don't have like, you know, power is gone and stuff. Oh. So they can't communicate with like Europe. Like they're they're like riding horses and shit. They still have gas vehicles. So, and stuff, so, you know, so you it, it could be oil, like a million like, people around the whole world, basically. It could definitely be. So it all takes place around the uh, they they live like they're from Chicago. They live around what they call the wheel, which is just the perimeter of Lake Michigan. They are in a traveling group of musicians and actors called uh, the Traveling Symphony. And instead of being this like kind of crazy survival story, it's kind of about how humans would exist in a forced, like primitive existence. So like, oh, I wouldn't. They're not like cavemen and stuff, but it, it, it circles around the idea that like even in this environment where people are like living in log cabins and hunting their own food and like growing their own food again, art and entertainment are like key to our our condition and so these people are incredibly popular they they do a big 
tour around the perimeter of Lake Michigan. It takes them all year. So every little village of people gets like one Shakespearean play performed in front of them every year by this group of actors. And like people will like, people are huge fans of the traveling symphony. They uh, follow them around and like try to try out. So it's like really hard to get in. Dude, they're, they they're literally like a trope, like, a, a, a trope of bards, like in like, yeah, medieval. exactly. It's like exactly like that. And so they put on these like incredibly well produced and written uh, performances of like King Lear, uh, Taming of the Shrew, you know, like all these like classic Shakespearean plays and they write their own music that they play on like whatever instruments they can find. So it's really interesting, but it kind of revolves around that there is this graphic novel uh, written in the universe. It's And the graphic novel is called Station Eleven. And the graphic novel is so powerful in like it's how well it's written. It's like basically like Watchmen level right. graphic novel where like people read it and they're like, damn, this is shit's fire. It becomes the holy text for a cult, a very extremist cult in this universe. And they begin like doing crazy stuff that like, cause people are all very like not trusting in this world, right? right? Like everyone's carrying around knives. They're like, I can't trust you. We're out in the middle of nowhere all the time. Like Texas. Yeah, effectively. And <laughs> they uh they get Where put in this situation where they get put in this situation where like they are trying to do like purely good for the community and then they get they encounter this like very extreme form of evil. Not to spoil too much, but like there's a scene uh like the the cults like whole thing is they center on the idea that like people born after the pandemic are pure. Like kids that were born after the pandemic are pure and everyone that was alive before the pandemic they're they're liars like they've been through trauma they're damaged they need to be purged from society to fix humanity and they'll come into like the villages and like kidnap the children and then like brainwash the shit out of them and then the kids come back like there's a scene in this where all the children are stolen out of this one encampment of people and they're like yeah we're so sad our kids got stolen like several months ago the kids come back with landmines strapped to their chest and they're repeating lines from the graphic novel and like suicide bombing into their own families and stuff. It's super intense. And it all culminates in this like incredible production of uh, a rendition of Hamlet with like all the characters in it. And dude, it's just so well written. It's so well acted. There are moments of just like incredibly gripping tension there's a scene where three of the characters have been hiding in this uh, high-rise apartment in downtown Chicago since the very beginning of the pandemic. They've just locked themselves in with tons of food and yeah. supplies and just like, hey, we're just going to live in this penthouse. One day they're all like doing their thing, hanging out, reading books, you know what they do every day. And suddenly they look up and the front door is open and there's a guy like in like with a big backpack, you know, some dude that's been out there surviving and he's got a knife and they're just standing there in silence. And the, one of the characters is like, hey, it's okay. Like it's safe here. Like, it's okay. And the guy goes, please leave. I don't want to kill you, but I need this place. Please leave. And then you watch this like very brutal, close, close up personal combat between people that are not trained. You know, it's like not stylized or cool. It's like a brutal, brutal, like you have to kill someone with your hands to live. And it's incredible. It's an incredible show. Uh, it is totally self-contained. Like there is nothing beyond this. There's no sequel to the book or anything. So I think it's done, but Dude, I was like at three in the morning just being like, I ended up buying the complete works of William Shakespeare from Amazon afterwards because <laughs> I was so like, I was so like into this show. I was like, I got to read this shit. Um, but it's it's super amazing. It's super well acted, uh, written just beautifully. The culmination of all these various plot threads into the end, into like 
if I just like when I told you like it culminates in a production of Hamlet, that sounds kind of corny, but it's so well done. And it does make you question like, who do you become when all the trappings of civilization are stripped away from you? How do you, everyone's initial thought is how do you survive? But one of the themes of the show is that survival alone is, is insufficient. Yeah. Like 100%. after you get through the point where like you're, you're not going to die, you have to create some kind of existence and community like humans have to have community to to exist in a, any meaningful way and yeah. so you watch as like people organically recreate that it's it, it's amazing show. dude it's like I, the hierarchy of needs there's like food water shelter yeah. and then after you accomplish those you still need other things you need a support system yeah. you fulfillment, need fulfillment sex yeah. yeah all that stuff yeah wow that sounds crazy especially the, great, the, the fight you scene. should check it out i because you rarely oh, see dude. like a realistic I've watched enough hood site videos and USA crime videos on Instagram to tell you what a real fight looks like. Well, and, uh, and, and like, like you would expect, like there's not like you'd expect 20 years later, there's not that many bullets left. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we don't have bullet factories and unless you want to hand make rounds, which I'm sure someone would be doing, but like Jake would almost all the, all, yeah, <laughs> almost all the characters, uh, carry bladed weapons. And so it's all very, very personal, like very up close. You have to like, look into the eyes of someone you kill. Oh man. Um, and the cult leader is, they got this guy to play the cult leader. I, I have to look up who this guy is as an actor. Cause you find yourself being like, he doesn't make a good point. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of like, oh, you know, this cult might be lit. Like, I don't know. Like, so you're it's, saying it's, it's pain from Naruto. Dude, he is, he's pain from Naruto. He's a uh, killmonger from black Panther. He's, you know, this, this motherfucker <laughs> making a lot of sense. Hey, he's thin. I'm going to drink this tea while he's <laughs> talking. No, no, like, yeah, he's the bad guy, but, like, you know. <laughs> but is he? Kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm yeah, enjoying so, him. Uh, it's so good, dude. It's so I'm good. I'm literally thinking it's, of, uh, like, the Dan Carlin episodes where he talks about fighting in a phalanx in uh, another free yeah. ad. Here we go. Another free ad. Dan Carlin. You should listen to Hardcore History if you don't. Uh, fighting in a phalanx with, um, like, in, like, the Battle of Marathon where he talks about, like, no, you need to really think about this. Like, they're going to sit you. You're going to be standing next to, like, your brothers on one side and then, like, your father and your uncle on the other side while they're getting stabbed in the face with spears. And, like, you are literally three yeah. feet away from the person you're trying to also stab in the face with a spear. Like, don't think about this, like, CGI, like, drone sweep over a battlefield. Think about, like, what these individuals are going through. Is that, that's, that's the thing, man. It's stakes. It's, it, it becomes so much more about stakes. And I think just as an abject lesson for writers, like bigger stakes don't necessarily mean like larger by macro consequences. A good example of this is compare man of steel to dark Knight. Oh yeah. Like at the end of dark Knight, you got these two boat boats, one full of prisoners, one full of normal people. And they're each given the remote to bombs on either boat and blow each other up. That is, those are high stakes, but they're, they're great stakes because you know, it could happen. You, you're sitting there, you're like, they could absolutely blow each other up. Yeah. At the end of Man of Steel, they're like, we're going to get this big alien laser drill to terraform the whole planet and Earth will be destroyed. And in the back of your head, no matter how into the movie you are, you're like, well, they're not yeah, going like, to do no. that. That's not unless how this it's, ends. Unless it's, with that, that, unless it's a comedy, like going back to what we're talking about. Right, exactly. Unless it's like a dark comedy, then it could actually happen like a... a that free, uh, that in a way, that kind of frees you to do whatever you want because right. you're not held to the expectation, but... Yeah, in the Dark Knight, you're like, dude, they uh, they could totally blow up the boats. Like the joke, the Joker has been. We we know he'll do this. Yeah. He'll he's blowing up a hospital. He'll do this. So he's about um, that life. Yeah, in this, 
in in Station Eleven, the stakes are very personal and human, and it has a huge ensemble cast that are kind of subdivided into various storylines, so they're never like all together until the very end. But each one of them is carrying such a like unique burden, unique guilt. God, dude, there's one of the main characters. The probably the main character of the show is a girl who is only like eight or nine when the pandemic hits, and then she's like thirty in the the main plot line twenty years later when she's a little girl she gets taken in by a stranger because they're like trying to just like get inside away from the pandemic. And she's texting her parents being like, Hey, I'm with this guy. Mm. Like, you know, and this is a nine year old. Yeah. And then you finally like two or three episodes in, you see her get a text and it says like from mom and you're like, Oh, thank God her mom's okay. And then she opens the text and it's like the owner of this phone has been found in the, is, is present in like the St. Andrew's hospital morgue. It's just like the morgue worker alerting her that her mom's dead. And you're just like, fuck. Like it's dude, the whole thing is like heart ripping. It's, it's great. It's truly great drama and truly great. Like interhuman connection where you're just, you, you come to a point where all the people feel like real humans, which is very difficult to do with such a huge cash. Like normally you only have the depth to get in deep on like one or two, but this ep- this show has great actors in a hundred different roles, both ancillary and, and main, and every single one of them you're kind of rooting for in their own unique way. So it's really great. Especially, especially the leader of the cult. Yeah, the prophet dude, David, he's the man. Yeah. You and oh, I, I yeah, I won't spoil anything for you, but like his his story is like crazy. Yeah. Like you do end up being like, and and again, he's like connected with this. Uh, this graphic novel yeah. about an astronaut and stuff. And you're like, he's the lessons he's taking from it are actually like very powerful. It's like the whole graphic novel is about like, there's no such thing as before. There's only the present and what is to come. So like, if you are a slave to your past and so you can see how he extrapolates that into like humans now in this new environment are so obsessed with like maintaining what we used to have, you know, people want to like have Michael Jordan rookie cards and, you know, live in a a mansion that they could never have during the thing. And he's like, fuck all that. Like erase everyone who wants to do that and erase all that shit and create a new type of human. That's better. Gosh, and you're just, like, I Damn, love dude, it's kind of time to tie. I love a villain with like a compelling reason. Like you don't have to agree with them, but like, yes. is what they're saying reasonable to like their backstory again. And, and I were that very specifically, like, it doesn't have to be reasonable to you, but if it makes sense to their backstory and they have like a reason for doing that, like I don't want to see Voldemort just be like, I'm evil, I want to take over the yeah. world. I want to see like, dude, tell me, sorry, huge tangent. I talked about pain from Naruto, but a, probably an example that yeah. other people who haven't watched that like could grasp to is, um, it's the exact same backstory as pain, is the first season of Jack Ryan, where it's basically a, yeah. the child of war a child of war becomes mm-hmm. a terrorist that's kind of what pain is in naruto it's like dude it makes sense right. it's like i've seen like I, you know it's and i won't get too big into like the ideologies of both of them but like you get where they're coming from and like god i oh, love for that sure. oh yes it's my favorite that, that's that's definitely that's definitely how this is and he both straddles the line of being like incredibly approachable but also incredibly sinister like you're you're alerted almost immediately when you encounter him that he is lying so he's like telling you a backstory about himself and the characters are very aware that he's making this up. So that's already scary to them. Right. Cause there's, there's no internet. They can't check on people. So when you know, someone's lying, you're instantly like, okay, we can't trust this person. Like blue face. Then, stop capping, stop capping. And then he goes to the main girl and he's like, yeah, I, you know, it's very important that I join the traveling symphony. I'll only be with you for a short time, but I'm going to be there with you. 
And she pulls a knife out, puts it to his neck, and she's like, I don't trust you, you're creepy, blah, blah. And he goes, then your friends are going to start disappearing. And he just doesn't even care there's a knife to his neck. He has, like, cold ice in his blood, just like, fine, then everyone you love dies, then. You're just like, oh, fuck, dude. It's tight. Cassie was, like, asleep. I was out on the couch watching it on my phone, and I was just, like, sitting there riveted, and she was, like, texting me at, like, 2.30 in the morning, like, go to bed. (laughs) Your pregnant wife is like, I think my water broke, and you're like, shut up! I'm watching Station Eleven. <laughs> there is no before, <laughs> bitch. I walk into our bedroom naked with a landmine strapped to my chest. She's like, where did you even get that? <laughs> Between these jokes and then, like, you buying the stroller earlier today, but people are going to be mad confused about your stance on your Dude, fatherhood. C- like, te- Texas CPS is, like, already getting emails. They're like, look, I don't know for sure this guy shouldn't have a kid, but, like, worth a check. Is that, clip, guess, you know? is that, is that clip from, uh, like, finding Saddam Hussein? Ladies and gentlemen... We found him. And then just the SWAT we team. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> we got him. We got him. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, man. With that being said. That was a, I love finding a show like that, like truly organically and by total surprise. So I had like no time to like research it. I didn't see any trailer. I had no idea what it was about. I just waited in and it was incredible. It was like such a satisfying uh, experience of taking in a show. So I, I, I know exactly when you started describing this go, I know it. I knew exactly what you were talking about. Cause I watched the trailer for it. And then just like, I was like, man, that looks interesting, but I need to get around to it. Um, a lot of the, the reason I didn't turn it on is because a lot of the shots in the trailer are very like wide pan of like empty fields. And I was like, this looks, this yeah. looks low budget is really why I didn't turn it on. So I'll have to, I'll check it out. They are like very, they, they, the, the production is, they are very much, advantaged by the fact that the people are very local they never leave this one particular area like the you know chicago up into canada but like just around the lake and so they just got to go shoot it there you know what i mean they just shot it all where it actually would be so they didn't have to do like too much like cgi and stuff they do do a little like uh you know abandoned chicago type you know i am legend type shit where you're walking through like gridlock traffic with no one in it kind of thing but for the most part, it's all very organically shot, and it's and it's it is really well done. That it's amazing. So can't recommend it enough. Sweet. Well, man, I, I definitely have to check that out, and uh, maybe we'll do an episode someday. Who knows? Well, we kind of already that'd be did awesome. A mini episode. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. If, if you watch it and you're like really taken by it, and there's other themes you want to talk about, I'm I'm happy to go into it. But yeah, we should do. We definitely need to do a Euphoria episode. Well, that's coming up. Um, dude. I know we, we, got, we also... got Euphoria on the docket. We're gonna be doing. Which, for our viewers, we're going to do a Euphoria episode. Shortly after the last episode airs, you should expect an episode. Uh, so I think the last episode airs on a Monday or a Tuesday. And yeah. then the next, and then the following Monday, you should expect our Euphoria kind of season two reactions. So that'll be great. Up. And then I think we've also discussed, this is just kind of a little preview, of uh, a little fun episode where we go through every Best Picture winner for the last couple years yep. and uh decide if the right nominee won the award we're gonna decide so if, if, that if really the academy was capping or not capping we're coming for you the artist yeah oh my god it's a it's a fine movie but it was just <laughs> so clearly so clearly hollywood being like boy we were sure cool back then huh it's like someone being like what's the best uh outfit to wear like i would say uh my letterman jacket from high school is the single coolest piece of clothing ever created you're like is it though <laughs> Where's Brian Silva when you need him, dude? Hit exactly, him dude. Gratata, dude. Anyways, uh, man. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Thanks, Andy, once again. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe. But more importantly, tell two friends because we want to get the word out. As always, this is Novel Discourse. I'm Sam. I'm Andy. 
Peace. Peace.